Welcome to Which Was Better, the podcast that aims to answer the age-old question, which was better, the book or the movie. I'm your host, Lisa, and today's episode is the second in a five-part series where I'm deep diving into one of my all-time favorites, the Twilight Saga. Today, we are going all in on New Moon. They're not bears, y'all. Nope, these are wolves. Yes, my friends, we are getting more monsters in Forks. If you missed the first episode where I talk all about Twilight, please go check that out. I, I'll leave a link in the show notes. So, okay, y'all, face punch. Let's do this. Let's find out which was better. So let's start with the book. Let's do a little refresher. New Moon was written by Stephanie Meyer, of course, and was published by Little Brown and Company on September 6, 2006. And this is the summary from the back of the book. I felt like I was trapped in one of those terrifying nightmares. The one where you have to run, run till your lungs burst, but you can't make your body move fast enough. But this was no dream. And unlike the nightmare, I wasn't running for my life. I was racing to save something infinitely more precious. My own life meant little to me today. For Bella Swan, there's one thing more important than life itself, Edward Cullen. But being in love with a vampire is even more dangerous than Bella could ever have imagined. Edward has already rescued Bella from the clutches of one evil vampire, but now, as their daring relationship threatens all that is near and dear to them, they realize their troubles may be just beginning. Dun, dun, dun. Y'all, I 1000% forgot how much happens in this book. I mean, this thing is 563 pages. If it wasn't for this podcast, like the moment I was like, oh, maybe I'll do a reread and saw that this was 500 pages, I would have been like, nope. (laughs) I mean, 563 pages in this economy, absolutely not. But I did it. I read it. And honestly, I was like, how much more? <laughs> there were two times when I stopped reading and was like, enough already. Let's go. Like, okay, we get it. Cause we have to go through so much, like the breakup, the Edward visions, motorcycles with Jake, Jake's own change. And then their whole pseudo breakup, J- Jacob and Bella. And y'all, by the time Alice showed up, I was seriously like, oh my God, we still have all of Italy to get through. <laughs> Like we hadn't even gotten to Edward on the page anymore. And I was already over it. (laughs) And the worst part is, is for the longest time, I've always said that New Moon is my favorite book in the whole series. So I don't know what I was thinking, but let's just get into a little bit of the book here. Now, I was going to start off with what I loved about the book, but loved is a strong word. So let's go with what worked for me in this book. And y'all, I'm not here to bash it because I genuinely, truly love this entire series. I always have. I'm not a bashing podcast or person. There's still, even to this day, people that love to go out there and bash it all. I'm not. I'm just, as a person who's been very, very deep into this fandom and I haven't actually touched it in years, going on these this reread journey has, has been indeed a journey. So this one turned out to be not great for me in the end, like on this reread. So things that worked for me now, despite all of the melodramatics of this entire series, I do think that this book nails that first big breakup in life, that first, you know, loss of love or even a big friendship breakup, where basically you're going from like knowing someone so well to being strangers. Like Edward says, like they never existed it can feel like death. I mean, it can be like a grieving process. It's numb and painful and messy and just really, really over the top, especially, you know, if you're still a teenager when this happens and you're still learning 
emotions and how to contain them and process them and all of those things. And everything can just feel so big and so large. So I do think this book really, really nails that because it is super dramatic (laughs) and kind of latching, like, and kind of like dovetailing off of the, that whole thing are those, those months pages in the book. (laughs) I remember reading this for the very first time all that tension up and then the breakup and then seeing those blank pages with just the months knowing Edward did not in fact come back. Bella has been alone and it's probably months and months of heartbreak. And the fact that they're blank obviously means that, you know, she was numb that whole time. She doesn't really remember anything because so there's nothing to write. Just devastating. Just those pages were so devastating to me. (laughs) So I, I, I want to say that despite all of that, I just, and again, I love this whole series, but man, I really did not like Bella in this book. She is awful. Yes, she's heartbroken. And yes, I was heartbroken for her, but my girl puts everyone through the ringer in this book. And she is terrible to everybody. Her dad, Jake, her so-called Forks friends, like everybody. So the first time in the book for me is you know, like the party. I get it. I'm an introvert. I don't like being the center of attention. I I just, even my own wedding, I was like, oh my God, everybody's going to be looking at me. (laughs) So I I tell people, I just don't want to party. I just want a very low key like thing, you know, but if somebody were to go out of their way to make me a party, I'm not going to be a jerk about it and be like, I told you no party. No, eat some cake, Bella. Just go with it. She's so mean to everybody about it. You know, and she uses all of her Forks friends to like placate Charlie because Charlie's basically like, oh, my gosh, you're a zombie. And I need you to either, you know, try to do something or I'm going to send you off to Jacksonville with your mom. So Bella, you know, is like, "Okay, well, I'm going out with Jessica, actually. She doesn't even like Jessica. I mean, there's a whole scene when Jessica's really upset with her and she says, After Jessica pulled away, I forgot about her even before I got into the house. Like, she's just mean. (laughs) And then, of course, to Jacob, you know, she just uses him. She just flat out uses him throughout this book. And to her defense, she does recognize this. And she even flat out tells Jacob that she's being selfish and that she's using him. And, of course, Jacob's like, I don't care. (laughs) But she still sucks for it in my mind. So there you go. But the worst of all is everything that she does to Charlie. Like she just literally, like I said, puts Charlie through the ringer. Um, She's like having these screaming nightmares where he's like having to wake up and go check on her. Of course, eventually he stops because he's like, oh, she's screaming again. (laughs) You know, she's just like this robot, like zombie. She doesn't do anything. And she takes off again at the end to go to Italy to try and save Edward. We're all very grateful that she does that. But then she. I think about it as a parent, if my kid just took off and left a note, I was like, I'll be back later. <laughs> my boyfriend's in trouble. I'll be back soon. What? Not to mention that the fact that even when she's on the way to Italy, Bella is basically like, well, if I can't get to Edward on time, that's fine. I'm just going to unalive myself. Ma'am, you still have a dad at home. Like you still have family. Ugh. Yeah, she was the worst in this book for me. <laughs> and it's not just relegated to her. I think everyone's kind of terrible in this book, except Charlie. I love him forever and always. Okay. Because I think, 
Edward's terrible. Like they deserve each other because she's terrible and he's terrible because my dude left her in the freaking forest alone after breaking up with her. We had all this time in Twilight where Edward kept telling Bella, don't go in the woods. Don't go in the woods. There's things out there scarier than I am in the woods. Just don't do it. And what does he do? He takes her out in the woods to break up with her and then he leaves her alone in the freaking woods. Sir, absolutely not. Okay. And this one, this next one, I'll stop hating on the book in just a second. (laughs) This next one is really hard because I'm going to confess something that I don't want to admit to, but I'm going to in the effort of transparency. But on this reread, I might have found myself just for the tiniest of moments at the beginning, a little bit Team Jacob. There, I said it. I know. I text my friend Vicky because seriously, always Team Edward. And most of my old Twilight friends are Team Edward. Most of them. Um, But I text my friend Vicky, who's one of my old school Twilight friends. And I was like, "Um, okay, but what if on this current reread, I do become Team Jacob? And she only replied with one word, no. But that no was no with like 11 D.O.'s at the end. (laughs) But in the end, I agree with her because that little that little uh, that little side route that I took, that little veer off. Uh, it didn't last very long. Basically, once he became a wolf, I was over it. I was like, that's OK, which is weird because in real life, if I had to choose between a vampire and a werewolf, I'd go werewolf all day, like all day and twice on Sunday. Because, I mean, well, it's not fair because I blame Immortals After Dark for this and their whole full moon shenanigans. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, stop this podcast right now. And go read Cressley Cole's Immortals After Dark series. It'll take you a while because there's like 25 billion of them. No, I think there's like 22, something like that. There's a lot. Um, But fair warning, they are banana pants. And they're basically like held together with like fighting war and like dubious consent. So if you're not into that, don't read these. But I'm just saying like, yes, I would pick werewolves over vampires. (laughs) But for real though, once Alice comes back in the picture at the end, And Bella is given a choice between Jacob and, you know, basically the Cullens. She chooses the Cullens. She's always going to choose the Cullens. She's told Jacob this over and over again, that she's using him. She actually doesn't feel that way about him, that she's always going to be the Cullens. And Jake is like, fine, I don't care. I just want to be with you. I don't care. I don't care if it means something different for me than you. He's just like, because in his mind, he's like, I'm going to change her. Dude, you won't. Everybody goes through that phase. I'll change him. I'll change her. No, you won't. But Jake is in that phase where he's like, I'm going to change her. So when she, when they're like put to the test and Bella's like, yes, I'm going to go talk to Alice. Jake like loses it, like loses his shit. And it's like, okay, bye. Cause he just like takes off. And basically he's like, if this is a trick and it's not actually Alice and it's Victoria, then you're on your own. And my thought was, what is with all these dudes in Bella's life that just like abandon her? (laughs) It's terrible. And I came away with, you know what, Bella, just be with yourself. You don't need either of these fools. So, okay, enough of that. Let's talk about the movie. So the movie premiered November 20th, 2009. And fun fact, this premiere was the first of two trips I took out to LA for the like premiere premiere. And y'all, it was such, such a fun time. Like I got to meet all my Twilight friends in real life. There's a group of us that met. Shout out to all you LTT, LTR folks out there. You know who you are. 
and just meeting them in real life and, you know, not getting murdered because they weren't creepy people. They were actually nice people. (laughs) And then finding a way to see the red carpet and then like getting to go see the movie with them, not in the actual premiere, but, you know, just being around it. It was so fun. It was like the best. So, okay. So let's do a little summary of the movie. Bella Swan is on the cusp of her 18th birthday and blissfully happy with her undead beau, Edward Cullen. While celebrating her birthday with Edward's family of vegetarian vampires, a frightening incident convinces Edward that he's simply too dangerous to be around his sweetheart. He decides to leave the town of Forks in order to ensure her safety, leaving her behind angry and depressed. I don't know about angry, but depressed for sure. My girl. All right. So let's start off with the things that this movie nailed. Like I just they just took whatever was in the book and just plopped them right on screen. And I loved it. And the first one is the worst, the breakup scene. <laughs> I know it's hard to love a breakup scene, but you know what I'm saying? Like it just, I thought it really represented it well. So in the book, you know, Bella has her birthday party and she gets a paper cut opening her present, which blood flows. And of course, Jasper tries to attack her because he's like blood, yum. And it goes poorly, obviously, as one would when you're in a house surrounded by vampires and of course Edward's being super mopey about it. And in the book, there's a lot of time between that incident and the breakup. There's a few pages and it's pages and pages of Bella all angsty because she's trying to figure out, she knows something's wrong. She just doesn't know what she can't figure it out. Edward's being distant. She just thinks that he can't get over the fact that she almost got attacked it never really enters her mind that they might break up. I think in her mind, she's trying to work out how long it's going to take for Edward to get over it and, or how they're going to move forward. Like maybe they'll move off together somewhere. Maybe they will, um, you know, kind of take off and do their own thing, but obviously that's not what happens. So for the readers though, it left us tense for pages because we're in Bella's head with her and we're like, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? So, yes, the movie did remove all of that time because in the movie, the two scenes happen like back to back. They're like within 24 hours of each other. The, you know, paper cut Jasper incident happens. And then the next day, Edward's not there at school, but he's waiting for her after school. And that's when he takes her into the forest and breaks up with her. (laughs) And just like the first time that I saw this movie, I was so heartbroken for Bella, like her initial confusion then that moment of realization and then her like dead eye like acceptance oh yeah and edward's final forehead kiss Ugh, like i'm still not over it it was it was really devastating <laughs> so i thought they really did that scene well as terrible as it was and speaking like i did about the book the passage of time that was one of the things when the movie you know was coming out it's like how are they going to do that how are they going to represent those pages it could have been so corny it could have just been like you know 4 months later like title overlay or something and i thought what they did with this in the movie was incredible it's like one of the worst you know by worst i mean powerful moments in the book when you turn those pages and all those you know months so the movie with Bella's sitting in that chair looking out the window, just completely numb and like dead-eyed. That leaky Lee song, the spinning camera, the seasons outside, like changing, and her that mini montage of her nightmares all rolled into one. I was like riveted. Like again, 
just, it was incredible. I thought it was the perfect depiction of Bella's headspace during that time. So another thing that I remember being like concerned, like how are they going to pull this off in the movie where ghost word, like AKA Bella's visions of Edward. We get far less of these in the movie than we do in the book. I think in, well, in the movie we get like three, but in the book we get like six or seven, but I do love the way they were handled. Um, they could have been so corny, y'all. <laughs> do you remember that movie? Uh, do you remember the 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice? If anybody's seen that when Elizabeth is in the carriage heading back and <laughs> floating Darcy head shows up like outside of her carriage in her memories. <laughs> that was corny and it could have been corny like that, but it wasn't. I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was really well done because. When you're reading Bella hearing I'm using finger quotes, even though you can't see me hearing Edward's voice. I mean, like, I get it. Like she loves like hearing his voice and it, it makes her, you know, feel good momentarily. So I get why she keeps trying to like achieve it over and over again, I guess. I mean, it's just very limited because you're like, okay, she sees him or she hears him, you know, but in the movie where we actually get to see like this smoky, hazy, ghostly Edward and hear his voice and see how much it impacts her. Like, yeah, I could, I would want to chase that too. If I saw like ghostly Robert Pattinson chasing me around saying, don't do that. That's stupid. I probably would do stupid things. <laughs> so, okay. Another thing that I thought was <laughs> really well done was face punch the movie. So it's such a stupid title. I think in the book, it's something really generic, but I love this title. And even to this day, when I'm excited about something, I'll like say like face punch, let's do this in my excitement. So I don't know why I just love it. And it stuck with me. But this whole movie scene where Bella is trying, <laughs> trying to be, you know, back in the fray again, trying to be like a teenager. And she tries to get a group of kids to go to the movies with her. And it ends up just being her, Jacob, and Mike Newton. It was like the perfect, <laughs> the perfect awkward teenage outing. And I loved it. It was so hilarious. They both are sitting on either side of her with their hands upturned. And you can see they're almost like sweaty, which, hey, I get sweaty hands too. So, you know, not judging. But you can see they're all like tense and she's just like, so awkward in between them and it was just like perfect and Mike is, was so funny when he got sick and he ran out and then later he's like I think I need to go home <laughs> it was very funny of course what made it slightly different was Jake has this little freak out in the movie where you can tell that something's wrong he's super like temperature hot not like oh my god you're hot but he is hot because you know we don't know it at that time, but he is turning into werewolf. He's like having his teen wolf moment. But that segues into the what I think they also did well are the wolves, like jorts and all. Um, I remember, I feel like when I first saw this movie the first time, I thought the wolves were kind of silly, like the big CGI wolves. But I think it was because I was more focused <laughs> on the fact that Jacob was wearing jorts and I was also slightly uncomfortable. Like even now I was slightly uncomfortable with all these young dudes without shirts on because I felt really old. <laughs> but on this watch, I was like, uh, these CGI wolves kind of kick ass, 
you know, like they were out there doing it. And I thought it was cool. Truthfully, I do think that the music, the soundtrack did a lot of heavy lifting for those scenes, though, because they or they really could. They could have been corny like Ghost Edward. Um, but I thought they were really well done, especially uh, their fight scenes. Like that Tom York song, um, what is it called? Uh, Hearing Damage during that wolf chase when they're chasing Victoria and it's like a montage of Victoria running, them chasing her, Harry getting attacked, his heart attack, Bella like going off. I think that's when she's going to like hike to the cliff so she can eventually cliff dive. All of that woven together with that song. Oh my God, it was perfection. I, like I said in, in the Twilight episode, the soundtracks on these kick ass and it works. And I think that it elevates these wolves even more. I, like I said, I, I thought on their own that they were cool, but with the music, incredible. Okay, so the last thing I thought that this movie did really well in capturing the book was the end. My God, the end. Okay, so in the book, they do talk about marriage. They have like a longer conversation. It's not as exciting. It's kind of like Edward saying, well, what if we got married? And Bella's like, what? Uh, hi, I'm a teenager. And he's like, well, I'm not. Which, when you think about it, it's creepy. But anyways, they do talk about it. And they have like, it's, you know, it expands a few pages. But I didn't miss that one bit. Because in this movie, they're at the end. They're in the forest. They've just had a conversation with Jake. They're talking about, you know forever meaning like turn Bella into a vampire she's like what are you waiting for and Edward's like I have this condition and she's like what's that and all of a sudden it's just his face and he goes marry me Bella and then it cuts to her and she just does this real quick intake of breath and then the movie's over y'all oh my god the way we lost our shit in the theater when it happened. We knew it was coming. We knew it was we knew it was going to happen and we still lost our ever loving mind and I love it to this day. I thought it was the perfect way to end the movie. I didn't miss all that conversation at all. I thought this was great. Okay. So let's talk about things I'm glad that the movie added. They were not in the book, but I thought they were perfect additions to the screen version. And the first one is the biggest one to me. And that is um, the emails to Alice. We see constantly throughout the movie, or actually we hear Bella writing emails to Alice talking about, you know, how she's doing, how she still misses them, how she misses Edward, things that she's accomplished, you know, hanging out with Jake and all of that. And those emails are returned. And I loved it because in the book, so much of that, like so much of the book is Bella in her head, super angsty about Edward being gone, losing the life she thought she would have. Like the line that says it best from the book is, Forbidden to remember, terrified to forget. Like that's just basically where she's at for most of this book. And we have about 130 pages until she starts hanging out with Jacob, which I'll get to in a minute. But that's 130 pages of just her in her head, basically. Yes, a little other stuff happens, but basically that's what we get. To see all of that introspection on screen would have been horrible. It would have been so boring. Like, Mm -mm, no, thank you. So giving us Bella's thoughts through those emails to Alice, um, it gives us everything we need to know from that horrible, numb Bella period. And seeing those emails bounce back just reinforces how gone, 
gone they are. Like they never existed. There's not even an email address for them anymore. And I thought I just I loved it. I really thought it worked really well. So speaking of Jacob, like I mentioned just a second ago, we don't get him until 130 pages into the book. But in the movie, Jacob is there like immediately. Like he's there one of the first scenes, like giving Bella a birthday present. And he's there like right after the breakup. We see him as part of the group that's looking for her when she gets, you know, she's in the woods all catatonic. And we also see a little moment between Jacob and Sam, who we find out later is Sam is, you know, part of the werewolves. But we see this like uneasy eye contact between them, which I thought was great to set up really early in the movie that there's some tension there, that things are happening at LaPush that we don't know about yet. So I really appreciated the fact that they bumped him way up in the movie. Okay. So one of the things that initially, I remember when I first saw the movie, we were, the group that I was with, we were all like, what is happening or what just happened? And that is the moment at the end, Jacob and Bella are in the kitchen. Alice is back and Jacob and Bella have this moment where they're just about to kiss. And he whispers something to her in the movie. He whispers something to her in Quileute. And I remember at the time, we all thought that he said, I love you. But we were also like, oh, my God, I can't believe that moment just happened because it's not in the book. And it was out of nowhere. And I think we were all a little bit secondhand embarrassed for it. So I did some research. OK, because I was like, did he say I love you? Because I remember that's what we all thought he said was he said, I love you in Quileute. So I went and researched it. And according to IMDb trivia, which take that for what you will, it says that it means stay with me forever in Quileute. So in my research, I also found an article from that time, I think it was like 2009, that quotes a Quileute spokesperson who declined to translate, quote, out of respect for Jacob's feelings for Bella, end quote. And I was like, what? It was like a big deal. And I don't remember that from back then. So I'm going to link that article in the show notes if you want to check it out. But I remember just being like secondhand embarrassed in that moment, like for Taylor Lautner, because <laughs> we all thought it was kind of cringe and I'd forgotten about it. So when it happened this time in the movie, I was like, oh, my God, this part. But again, in my research and reading that article, it turned out that it was actually a really proud moment for the Quileute people. And now I feel bad because I'm like, well, now I don't. <laughs> I feel bad making fun of it because I didn't realize that, you know, when you don't know, you don't know. And when you know better then you do better. Right. So now that I know better, um, I don't think it was embarrassing. I am glad they added it because the Quileute people were actually really excited about it. They praised his pronunciation and they were really excited that it drew so much attention to like their language. So while I admit I didn't originally like it, I am glad that they added that part to this movie because I do think it enhances the love triangle. We see how much Jacob is actually really into her. And now I'm glad it's there. So there you go. Okay, so there's a couple more things that I'm glad that they added to the movie. And one of these is really goofy. And I'm sorry, you're just going to have to love me through this one. But Edward's airbrushed abs. If you know, you know. <laughs> so back when this movie first came out, one of the best leaks that came out, like <laughs> before the movie actually was out, were photos of shirtless Robert Pattinson as Edward in Italy. Like we lost our minds because the moment those photos were leaked online, we were like, uh, are those, 
are those airbrushed abs? <laughs> and they fostered a ton of conversation. It was very funny. And they were glorious in the movie. We were all like, airbrushed abs, there they are. So that's why part of me, just side note, laughs when the whole Batman came out and people were like, oh my gosh, Robert Pattinson is so hot. And I'm like, y'all, we've been here since the airbrushed abs days and we're going to need you to like the line forms to the left. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there you go. But I did, it just brought back a lot of memories because Susie walked out. I was like, oh my God, it's airbrushed abs. <laughs> and I'm glad they're in the movie. Okay. So the last thing are the Volturi. I put this as things that they added that weren't in the book. It, yes, this scene is in the book, but it's very different. And I'm glad that they took it this direction. So that's why I kind of put it in this category. The scene in the movie is way more aggressive in the book. And I appreciated it because during the reread, when they're in Italy and they're confronting Aro, Aro, however you want to pronounce it, and Marcus and Caius, is that how you say it? Either way. I remember thinking, how are they just talking through this? Like, how are they just going to talk their way out of it? It seems it's very, very tense because when you're reading, you're like, okay, at any moment, shit's about to get real, but it doesn't. And I'm going to hold my tongue now for now, because I really could talk about how this, the same type of thing goes throughout the end, like through the rest of the books, but I'm going to hold off for now. But no, in the movie, we get a pretty rad fight scene between Edward and my boyfriend, Felix, a.k.a. Daniel Cudmore, whose side note was in a Hallmark trilogy called All of My Heart, where he plays a wise, albeit laconic, bearded plumber. And I'm still mad about who they paired him up with anyways. OK, so that was a side note. I think this scene um, still gives plenty of attention because in the book, it's so drawn out and they're just talking. And like I said, you're just waiting for any moment for it to just devolve into like chaos. And it doesn't. But I still think there's plenty of attention. And most of that is because of Michael Sheen. He is so perfect as R.O. Arrow, however you want to say it. He's so over the top banana pants and his high pitched laughter, his like big old eyes, like just everything about him. I thought he played it to perfection and I love him. I love every time he's in these movies from here on out. Yes. So like I said, it wasn't a departure from the book and like they just straight up added it. But I think the choices that they made that were vastly different from the book, I think they work really well in the movie. So yes. Okay. So things that missed the mark for me. First one, straight off the paper cut scene. <laughs> in the book, it happens and she basically is like, crap, like, you know, under her breath. And it's like, a little drop of blood and it, that's enough to set everybody off. But in the movie, there's like a ton of blood. I've gotten a ton of paper cuts in my life and I've never had one bleed that bad. And there's like a ton of blood. And she literally stops and goes, ow, paper cut. <laughs> it's so terrible. It's so corny. In the aftermath with Bella and Carlisle, like they cut out so much of their conversation from the book about souls and religion. And I get that it was probably not to offend anyone, but I feel like they could have added a bit more in that scene to show why Edward was so reluctant to change Bella because they have this very long, deep conversation about it. Plus in the movie, this scene is like intimate. Like these two were close and the camera work had them like 
a breath away from each other, like really close up to like Bella's face and then Carlisle's. And it showed like how super close they were. And if I didn't know the story, I'd have been like, um, are you about to go after Daddy Cullen here? Because I'm ready for this plot twist. I mean, hello. But yeah, so that just didn't work for me. Okay, another thing that did not work for me was when Edward finally calls. So at the end, Alice has shown up. She's wondering why Bella's not dead because she saw her jump off a cliff. And the phone rings and we don't know who it is in the book. We have this long, drawn-out conversation about who actually called Bella's house. Jacob answers the phone. You know, who was it? We all find out, Bella and the readers all find out at the same time as Bella, that it wasn't Carlisle, like Jacob initially says, it was Edward. And the betrayal, y'all, while reading that part, the betrayal, like I literally gasped the first time when we find out it's Edward because Bella was so close to speaking to him. And in the movie, it shows us Edward calling. Like, we don't just see just the phone ring and Jacob pick it up and we don't know who's on the line. It shows Edward calling. And while I think it's like, I still think it's a crap move for Jacob to not let Bella speak to him. I do think that that scene lost a bit of its punch to the gut by revealing Edward, like right off the bat. We just know it's him. The last thing that I just did not think worked was the aftermath of the Italy trip. Now, granted, I think that if we would have followed, like if the movie would have followed the book, it would have ruined the pacing for the movie for sure. It would have just kind of like <laughs> flattened everything out so we could make room for this argument with Charlie. But we get almost zero of Charlie's anger towards Bella and Edward. We get this little in the movie like you're grounded forever. Which works for the movie character Charlie because he's just very, you know, stoic and he doesn't really speak a whole lot. But in the book, he's pissed and rightfully so. I mean, she did all of this during Harry Clearwater's funeral. Her dad is already like checked out emotionally because he's handling that. And then she just straight up disappears again. Earlier when I said Bella's terrible in the book. Boom. Here we go. And he's left worrying about her for days. And then Edward's now back and Bella's, you know, gets all kinds of rude towards Charlie about him. And it's just terrible. And we don't get any of that in the movie. And we there's this little side part in the book where um, Jacob betrays Bella by telling Charlie about the motorcycles. And again, I get it. This would have all been too much for the end of the movie. We're trying to wrap stuff up. But they really did gloss over a lot of like the personal aftermath of Italy between Charlie and Bella. There's a lot of like mistrust there, especially between Charlie and Edward. All right. Things that were not in the movie that I missed. First one, Charlie and Alice's relationship. They don't really detail it a whole lot in the book. It's like a couple of throwaway lines, but in the book, Al Charlie loves Alice and he even's like, she hasn't been around in a while. Where is she? And it's all very sweet. And I don't think it would have fit well in the movie, but I still missed it because I just like that they had this little connection. So another thing was um, we lose so much of Bella contemplating being with Jacob. I don't think that the movie conveys just how much Bella actually wrestles with the idea of just kind of like giving in slash settling with Jacob, which honestly kind of makes me laugh anyways, like just as a whole, because they're both teenagers. <laughs> and she's like, maybe I could just settle down with Jake, you know, be happy with him. And I'm like, ma'am, why don't you get through high school first? And then we'll worry about like life partners. But 
it's a book. So there you go. That little pesky point aside. I mean, this book is heavily inspired by Romeo and Juliet. Chapter 16 is literally called Paris. And she has all these conversations with herself trying to decide whether or not she should try with Jacob and how it might make her happy to make Jake happy. And I think having a touch more from Bella about her confusion about Jacob would have set up the love triangle better for like the next movie. So things that I could have lived without in the movie. Only one. And that's Alice's wardrobe. (laughs) They dress my girl like she was shopping at Chico's. And no offense to any of you that shop there, but this was supposed to be a senior in high school. And they had her in smocks. Smocks, y'all. And like half sleeve jackets with like shoulder pads, like, you know, like 80s power suits. It was awful. I felt so bad because Ashley Green is incredibly beautiful and she's supposed to be like on the cutting edge of fashion and smocks. It was terrible. So I really could have done without that in the movie. Okay, so after all of that, the good, the bad, the ugly, the smocks, all of it, which was better? And I'm going with the movie on this one, y'all, for the pacing alone, like The movie hit all the key parts of the book and gave us a lot more action and an incredible soundtrack that y'all have been listening to for like two weeks now. (laughs) And I just I loved it. I, I would love like if I was doing my ideal so far, I would read Twilight, watch New Moon, and then we'll see about the others. But that's that's how we're going right now. We're going with movie. So that's it. We did it. So what are your thoughts? Which was better for you? I mean, after two books and two movies. How are you feeling about these? Are you still team Edward, team Jacob, team Charlie? Where are we at on this? Team Bella, just be by yourself. (laughs) Or team Felix like me. Hello, Daniel Cudmore. So let me know on Instagram at which is better or email me at lisa at which is better.com. And don't forget to check out the website at which is better.com where you can find all the episodes along with book reviews and other bookish posts. And you can also sign up for my monthly newsletter where I send out recaps, reviews, and book recs to add to your TBR pile, which um, by the time this comes out, it'll be really soon in my next newsletter. I'll be sending out the February one. So there's time to sign up. So as always, thank you to everyone for listening and sharing these episodes. And oh my gosh, especially so far, I've gotten so much like DMs and like emails about Twilight and it's so fun. It's, I love being in this world again. So Every time you guys reach out, just know that I love it and it just makes all of this that much more fun. So yeah, and I will see you next time.